This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me from the Gold Coast in Queensland, Dan Norris. Hey, Dan, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thank you for taking some time to chat with us on the WP Elevation podcast. For those of you that don't know, Dan is one of the men behind WP Curve, which we're going to talk a little bit about uh, throughout this interview. Before we get started, Dan has very kindly offered to donate a site conversion assessment um, for your website, valued at $200. So stick around for details on how you can enter that, and you can get Dan to have a look at your website and give you some tips on how to increase conversions, which would be awesome. Hey, Dan, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> Probably I'll go with mechanic. Um, <laughs> I, went, I went for a – I like cars, and I went for a mechanics apprenticeship once, and um, I obviously did well in all the exams leading up to the, to the, uh, like the interview, and the guy's like, well, what, why do you want to be a mechanic? And I'm like, I don't know. I like cars. And he said, well, John Laws likes cars too, but he gets someone else to fix them. <laughs> and that was a pretty big lesson learnt around following your passion because I still like cars, but I, I'm very, very grateful I don't have to fix them. Right. Wow. Was that, was that kind of the start of the entrepreneur's journey, you reckon? Possibly. I was in business school at the time and I didn't like it. So I was at university and I wanted to ditch it and become a mechanic. Um, yeah because I like doing things with my hands, but um, I think, yeah, I think it was probably just a sign that I was easily bored and w- would eventually fall into entrepreneurship because that's one way to cure boredom. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so when did you discover the web? At what point in your, in your life did you discover the internet? Um, is this a PG podcast? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not... I, I think it might be MA. <laughs> I can tell I can tell you the first time I remember seeing the internet and I was in school and they just introduced it into libraries. The only way you could get it was if you went to a pretty good school, which I did, and um, you went to the school library. And I remember um, getting to the computers and one of my friends looked up triple X Danish babes. <laughs> and I, I remember that keyword specifically. And, and back those days, obviously... No one knew what the internet was, and the schools banned images on the internet, so there was no images. It was just it was just a page of I don't know I don't know what was there, but there was no images, and so that was my first recollection of the internet. But that that would have been that would have been very early nineties. Wow. Yeah. Do you, Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Um. Well, well, this is probably blasphemy, but I was I was big into Joomla um, after I started my company. Mm-hmm. And I did a the very first website I built. I had to build my own CMS because the client said they wanted it in ASP, and because I didn't know what a CMS was, and the fact that someone else had already built one. Um, <laughs> and I, after I did that, I thought I'm going to actually look to see if there's anything else out there. And I, I reviewed about 25 different um, open source platforms. The one I chose was Joomla, um, but I also reviewed WordPress at the time. But it was that was really early on. It, it would have been. Uh, 2006 maybe, um, and and WordPress was was really it, it wasn't quite ready for like a complete you know decent website mm. back then. It was more of a blogging thing, mm. um, but it just sort of rapidly overtook Joomla, and um, eventually we swapped to using WordPress for everything. So we're going to talk a little bit about your agency background and uh, how you've how that's informed what you're doing these days with WP Curve. But before we get there, when, when you meet someone now for the first time, they say, what do you do, Dan? How do you explain it in one sentence? 
Well, I WP Curves gives gives people twenty four seven um, small fixes to their website for sixty nine dollars a month, and we do unlimited fixes. And it's a pretty easy thing to say. I mean, most people that I meet will either have websites already, and they'll probably know what WordPress is. And we've deliberately started a business in a market that's huge, so it's very easy to explain what we do. And and there's a pretty good chance that whoever's listening will will know straight away when I tell them we fix websites, what that means. So you just said something interesting there. You deliberately started a business in a market that is huge. So that's been a conscious thing to, to position yourself in this WordPress market, this WordPress ecosystem, which is massive and growing rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't really resonate that well with like the niching down advice and the, the kind of focusing on something really specific or like a specific market. And I know it's very, very standard advice, but for me, it's just not motivating to think that, you know, you'd get anywhere near close to maxing out your niche or your industry. I just think I want, I want to know that when I start something that everyone who comes to my website is a potential customer and everyone who reads my content is a potential customer. And so, so yeah, I mean, even just putting the word WordPress in our name was a big thing for me (laughs) starting out originally but, I mean, that makes sense because WordPress is it's just so big and so accepted that just about everyone who is in contact with our stuff is using WordPress anyway. Mm. Did you, so did you start off with the name WordPress in, in the business name and then quickly figured out that you had to move it to WP? Oh, no, it was always WP. I knew, right. I, knew I wasn't allowed to use the word WordPress. Gotcha. Yeah, but it did change names. It started up as, as WP Live Ninja. Right. And then uh, my co-founder, Alex, who you know... Um, he on his first day he changed the name of the business. So <laughs> he registered. I woke up woke up in the morning and he's like, "Oh, I thought of a new name." And I registered the domain. It's ready to go. Like, All right, fine. <laughs> so what do you what do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day? Besides, I mean, do, are you actually logging into people's websites and doing the fixes? No, we we um we've got a team of developers who do the fixes, but we do do the work with the client so we monitor the support inbox when people request a job um, we'll make sure it makes sense to the developers which sometimes requires a little bit of rewording or you know adding a few images or whatever we'll set set the task up in Trello for the developers and then when it's finished we'll contact the client so me and Alex are still doing that I do that in the Australian time zone and he does it in the US time zone Mm -hmm. Um, we'd like to next year maybe get out of that but we need to get to the point where we're big enough to be able to kind of justify paying someone to do that yeah. Um, so that's probably pretty close to half of our day. There's quite a lot of work still required to that, especially how fast we're growing. Um, the other half, I mean, we, we try to do a lot of content. Me and Alex both really enjoy doing content. So I'd like to say that we spend a couple of hours a day doing content. It, de- it depends on the day. On Mondays, I spend all day doing support stuff because it's crazy. But then towards the end of the week, we normally get big chunks of three or four hours at a time where we can just sit down and write a blog post or put together you know, a podcast episode or something like that. Mm. I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, content uh, in, in a little while and how that, how that kind of fits into your overall strategy. Um, but before we get there, what, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night regarding your business? Um, well, I mean, we, we started a business that's a 24-7 support service, so that in itself keeps you awake at night. <laughs> but um, that doesn't worry me because I know that as we grow, we'll be able to get staff in to be able to do that sort of work. Um, but, I mean, with this business, 
it's it's just so exciting. I mean, the, what we're thinking about at nighttime is just you know how many customers we're going to get overnight. And I literally wake up in the morning and we've got three or four more customers. I mean, I've, I've been in situations where you're literally worried about how you're going to get your next paycheck. Um, but thankfully, with this one, it just seems to be growing really well, and we've hit hit on something that people need, and, and it's all pretty positive. You um. You blog quite a bit. What, what, why do you think it's important to write and create content? Well, I don't think it's necessarily generally important. I think it's, it's important to, to um, well, two things are important to me. One are that I spend my day doing things that I enjoy doing and I really enjoy doing content. So I've built a business around my content for that reason um, because I'm passionate about it, I love it, and um, I think it's important to do what you love. So that's one reason. The other is... I, I just love this audience-based business model, um, where you know we like we've we've brought out three different businesses this year, and we've got recurring customers for all of them, and it's all because we've got an audience there of people to talk to, and I mean other businesses where you just don't have that, I just I just couldn't imagine. I, I wouldn't want that for myself. I, I think having an audience is is just kind of protects you from so many different things. It gives you a huge advantage. Um, makes things a lot more fun, makes you help a lot more people, and there's and content is really the only way I know to to achieve that. So you know, you're, I just want to explore this for a minute because your you, you, your content reaches some influential people too. I'm mean, looking at your website at the moment, and you've got testimonials here from uh, Joe Polizzi from the Content Marketing Institute. Uh, famous Freddie said that Dan has taken over Neil Patel as the go-to man for online marketing. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you've been mentioned in Mashable. Uh, Australian Anthill. What first of all, how do you keep producing content consistently, and how do you keep producing content that doesn't suck? Because let's be honest, most people produce content that is just boring and sucks. How do you? Yes. How do you cut through the noise consistently? Um, well, I mean, for one thing, I've chosen something that I seem to be okay at. I mean, if if you were to pick. Nine out of the ten different things that a business person has to be good at. I'm pretty sucky at all at nine, eight or nine of them, and I'm just I'm reasonably good at content. So that's why I've chosen to do content. So I mean, I think, like I know so many people who who just try to who who even do work for small business owners and are just trying to explain like, you know, you have to be honest with your content. You have to add value. It's not just a case of writing articles. Um, but they just they just don't get it. And I've always gotten it. And so, it doesn't it doesn't come. It's not difficult for me to be honest in a blog post. It's not difficult to understand what people want, to create something that people can use. Um, and it's not difficult for me to understand the difference between something that's just written for Google traffic and something that's written to legitimately help people. And I pay attention to those signals. I pay attention to how many comments we're getting on our blog, how many emails we get every day with people telling us that this is a good idea. Um, how many conversions we get on a blog post because I know if people are converting, then they're taking action as opposed to looking at visits. Um, so I pay attention to those things as well and I try to be honest, create honest content and create useful content. And they're probably the two biggest things. If, if it's something people can use, like if I can create a, a document or a guideline or a plug-in or something that people can actually use, then that's just a really good benchmark. It means that you don't have to be guessing what people are thinking. If, if they're behaving a certain way, then then you can accurately predict what they're thinking. They like what you've done because they're using it. So yeah. we try to create useful stuff. So, so what would you say? We're a little bit off the script here, but uh, what would you say to someone who, because who, you know, this, it's this transparency and honesty that I really like in your writing as well. 
and you know, you're really honest about what works and what doesn't in your business, and you're honest about your figures and your growth and all that kind of stuff. What would you say if you know if you're consulting with a client who's scared of being that transparent and that honest because they think, well, you know, what if our competition see what we're doing, or what if people in the industry see what we're doing? What, what would you say to someone who can't overcome that kind of psychological barrier? Well, I don't do that kind of consulting anymore because I, I, I'm unable to fix that kind of problem. I, I don't <laughs> think. I think it's a natural thing. I mean, I used to. I used to work for a guy who was a consultant and I could just, like if, if we were to reveal the kind of stuff we revealed about his business, we would have been fired on the spot. I mean, right. there's no way a guy like that is going to all of a sudden decide he's going to do a monthly income report, you know, for just for the fun of it. Um, so it's a mindset thing. I, I think you probably can come around of it. Like, like um, Alex, when he came on board, the first thing he's like, you've got to take the revenue numbers out of the monthly reports. And other people told us that as well. Um, but he came around to it because I think he just sees that if I wasn't that way, then he would never have found me and then half of our customers would never have found us. And I, th I think, yeah, I, th I think if you're kind of on the fence, you can come around to it. But if you totally have the wrong attitude about it, I don't know. I don't know how to fix that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it, it is a mindset, isn't it? Um, what, <laughs> this might be a rhetorical question, but what do you do when you're not working? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, well, yesterday I went for a walk and I went, went for a run and I went for a 7K uh Sorry, I surf. Three things, yeah. Right. And I like drinking beer. So not, <laughs> so if I can do all of those things in one day, if I can drink beer and go for a walk, listen to a podcast and go for a surf and go for a run, um, that's a pretty good day. Awesome. Yeah. Do you Play get... with the kids as well. I've got kids as well. So I've got uh, wife and kids. So on the weekends, we, we do family stuff. During the week... I mean, it's, yeah, I work a lot during the week at nighttime. It's just work and routine, but yeah. weekends is family stuff and running and drinking beer if there's time. And do you think that the exercise helps you keep your head together? Uh, it helps reduce boredom, yeah. And it's a good way to learn. I don't, I'm not much of a reader. I don't like reads. I can't like sit there and sit down, do nothing and read a book, but I can go for a run and listen to a podcast or go for a walk and, um, it's good to get outdoors when you're spending all day at a computer as well. Yeah. Good to burn some energy and good to not get fat from drinking too many beers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about WP Curve. For those that don't know, what is WP Curve? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it's exactly how it was when we started six months ago. I, I thought it was a good idea to give people unlimited small website fixes, so small 30-minute jobs, and you pay $70 a month and you get unlimited fixes. Um, and we operate live 24-7. And it's just me and my co-founder, Alex, who's over in the US. And we have a bunch of developers around the world that work for us and um, help us with all the fixes. We started six months ago. And I started by myself for a couple of weeks, which which was not fun. But again, I knew it was not going to last forever. Um, and we're, we're just growing very, very quickly. I'm actually just shocked at how fast we've grown. It's been a really good six months. Um, yeah, that's what it is. How do you um? Ha, ha, okay, I'm gonna try and ask these in the right order. When did you decide that? So you started out for a couple of weeks. You were just doing it on your own. When did you decide? Okay, this is an idea worth pursuing, and I think this thing's got legs. Uh, from day one. I mean, I, I I was working on something a year prior, and it took me a year to get uh, four hundred and seventy six dollars worth of monthly revenue, and that was an analytics dashboard that that I was working on. Um, with WP Curve, I got that much recurring revenue in one week. So I'd signed up 10 customers. 
um, we were charging, I think I charged a little bit less when we first launched just to see if anyone would sign up. Um, and I mean, just the fact that I could get that many in one week when it had taken me a year with the software business was, I knew straight away. And and plus, like what I talked about before, you, you're never second guessing your market if you if you go into a market with 70 million people in it. So it's not like I've started some niche business where, you know, I'm going to, I wonder if I'm going to run out of market or something like that. I mean, mm. I'm offering something that solves a problem that everyone has. I'm doing it a gigantic market that we're not going to run out of. Um, and so I, I just knew all we had to do is, I mean, as long as they don't abuse the service, which was only a very minor worry for me at the time, I wasn't really worried about that. Um, but as long as that doesn't happen, then then all we have to do is get more customers and make sure we do a good a good job at servicing them. So that's what we've been doing for the last six months. How, how did you come about? How did the meeting with uh, with Alex come about? For those that don't know, Alex McClafferty is the uh, other partner in WP Curve, who is an Australian now living in San Francisco. I met up with him when I was in San Fran a few weeks ago, and we played poker with some other Aussies over there. Brent Shepard and Ned Dwyer, how you going, guys? And um, that's how I discovered what these guys were doing at WP Curve. So how did the meeting between you and uh, Alex come about? Yeah, Alex told me you weren't a very good poker player. <laughs> so, so now I see how he knows that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we got, yeah, I mean, we got again, it was just one of my posts. It was a post on my site. It was called Is Startup Validation Bullshit? And it was um, a post that was talking about the challenges I've had. I'd had to do with the analytics stuff that I've been working on for a year. And you can see it on there if you Google that phrase. Um, you'll see the post and you'll see Alex made a comment in the post. Um, and he was in a situation where he really wanted to get into entrepreneurship and he was in a position where he could help me because I needed someone on that side of the world and I also needed someone who has the kind of skills that I don't have. Like I mentioned before, I'm good at one or two things, but I'm not good at everything. Um, and it just, yeah, he started working for me for free. He volunteered to do that for a little while and we worked well together and I've been I've been thinking about getting a partner for my various businesses for a long time, and I've I've just never been able to really make it work. Um, seemed like a good fit, and so we went for it. Wow. Um, here's the I'm just looking at the blog post now. Um, so wow, you've had 97 comments on this one blog post. Uh, is startup validation bullshit? Um, so, you know, so if there's no other reason to produce content, kids, it's because you might find your future <laughs> business partner in the comments. Um, That's right. We, by the way, I was going to say, we, we got rolled by Ned Dwyer that night in the, in the pokey game. Uh, no, actually, we didn't. We got rolled by um, um, uh, Austin from WP Engine. Uh, he actually took home the bacon that night. It was him and Ned at the end. Um, oh, Alex didn't, didn't, didn't give me that exact same story. His oh, version is slightly different. All oh, right. <laughs> Yeah, we all bailed pretty early. We're all, we're all knocked out pretty early. What's your so unlimited small fixes to websites for seventy bucks a month? I'm going to ask you in a minute uh, about how the hell that is sustainable and profitable. But uh, first of all, what's your hiring process like? How do you find good developers? Yeah, so we had. I mean, I've always had developers working for me because I'm not a developer myself. So I've always wanted to start these businesses that required technical skills, and I didn't have the skills myself. Um, the only way I've ever found that works well is to is it's sort of the same approach we take with marketing, which is to get as many people in at the front end and then just uh, filter them down until the good ones come out at the other end. And, and we tend to do the same thing with hiring, which is um, get a whole bunch of people to find out about a position. Like if it's, if it's say, in the Philippines where we have a couple of guys, I'll email a bunch of people who have put their names up on job boards in the Philippines 
and I'll tell them that we're looking for someone and we'll get maybe 10 replies and I'll give them, we don't, we don't interview them. I give them like a trial task and it'll be paid. So all, all they're risking really is two hours of their day and they'll get paid for those two hours. And we're not risking much. I mean, it's, it's good to work with these people and work out what they're capable of. Sometimes I'll give them like a real task to do with one of our websites. Like we wouldn't give them a client site, but we could give them one of our secondary sites to work on. Um, yeah, and, and I just have a process where we just go through. We, we, we look at the technical work they do. We look at their communication, whether they document things, whether they take shortcuts. Like I'll give them little tasks like um, asking them to back the site up, but then I'll put things in there that mean that they have to ask us before they can take any further action. So I'll say, please back the site up, but I won't give them cPanel access and I won't give them a backup plugin. So you can tell from their behavior whether they just skip that task altogether or whether they don't do anything for a couple of hours and then at the end say, oh, I couldn't do anything because I couldn't back the site up. And that happens. I mean, all this kind of crazy stuff happens when you're dealing with developers. Mm. Um, so that's what we do. And then we we, we get them in um, and just we skill them, up, skill them up over time as well. We, I think the developers who start out don't really have to be senior developers because we've got a couple of guys in-house who are really good who can skill them up. Um, but they need to have the right attitude. They need to be reasonable communicators in uh, written communicators because they write the development notes for the clients mm -hmm. and they have to be able to fix basic WordPress problems. And um, so, so this is the obvious question. How the hell do you build a sustainable, profitable business doing unlimited small fixes on a client's website for 70 bucks a month? Well, I mean, there's a few things that that relies on. One is it relies on our developers not being too expensive. And I mean, the world is full of developers who don't charge as much as you or I do or don't need as much as you or I do to, to you know, be, be, be just fine. And so if that ever changes, then we'll be in trouble. But, but <laughs> you know, we need to be able to find these good developers, um, which is something I've been doing for years. Like I've had guys in my agency with me for three or four years beforehand um, who are great. Like our lead developer is just amazing. He's worked with me for about four years um, and we've got four or five others at the moment. Um, and the other part of it is that clients don't abuse it and we've got things in place to make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, the first thing is that it's per website. So it's, uh, it's, it's per website, it's a 30 minute fix. So it's it's actually pretty unlikely that one client is going to have a hell of a lot of 30-minute fixes for one website because websites just don't... I mean, unless they're building a website from scratch, in which case we won't take them on, um, websites just don't have that many fixes in a month. I mean, that's almost... Like, if you think of the business days, that's like... A, like, if they if they ask for a fix every every single day, that's like 25 a month. If a client did that, then we'd start to worry. But it doesn't really happen. Um, and we do have a reasonable use policy as well. So if a client started asking for like 20, 30 fixes a month, then we would just say this this is unreasonable and we would it probably would be unreasonable because it, i mean I can't, I can't imagine what they'd be asking for for that many fixes but mm. what tends to happen is clients will ask for maybe four or five or six in the first month maybe more and that's fine um but then after that once we got the site sorted and we proactively make sure the sites are patched and upgraded and they don't get hacked and that kind of thing um, and we recommend good plugins. So over time, the sites become a lot more stable, and the, the requests get get less and less. So I don't, you know, I'm not trying to um, I'm not trying to expose your details or your in, internal processes here. But one of the things I bang on about all the time is uh, work out how to add value to your 
customers and then optimize your internal processes to deliver that value at a profit. So one yeah. example is if you're managing multiple WordPress websites, you can use something like Manage WP or Infinite WP to manage multiple WordPress sites from one dashboard. So apart from those really obvious technical things, what is there? What? How do you approach your internal process and, and getting the team to follow um, really smooth, optimal processes so that you can continue to deliver that value at a profit? What's that process like? I I probably approach things a little bit differently in that regard. I I tend to think that unless there's like a fundamental problem that can't be solved, then generally I'll solve problems as they arise. Um, so for example, our when someone signs up with WP Curve, at the moment, it's still a manual process for us to enter them into Infusionsoft, um, create the order in there, and set up the Google Doc for their client development notes. That is not a huge problem because we might only get, you know, in a week, we might get five, ten sign-ups in a really good week, and that's only a five-minute job. Um, so if that became a 30-minute job, you know, every day, or you know, a three or four hour job for the founders that we didn't have time to do, then that's when we would start optimizing that process to make sure that it's fully automated. Um, and I mean, every other aspect of the business is, is the same. We, we, our support system, we still just deal with clients via email. They go into Freshdesk and then from Freshdesk, they're synced across to Trello with an app called It Does It, which is like a Zapier mm -hmm. IFTPT type app. It's yep. one of those, but it had, it had the integration from Freshdesk to Trello. Yep. Um, and that saves us a bit of time, but but again, it's we only did that probably three weeks ago. Before then, we were just manually doing it. Right. Um, but but these sort of problems are very easy to fix, you know, when they become problems. And in the short term, our focus has pretty much been a hundred percent on getting new customers and creating more content, which eventually leads to more customers. So so I mean, that's why we've got the customers we have. It's not as efficient as it could be, but there's no problems that can't be solved when they need to be. Uh, nice segue into the next question. What's the one part of the business you'd like to fix if you had a magic wand? Well, I mean, the thing we want to fix next year is is we want to exit me and Alex from the, like the outside of normal working hours duty of supporting clients um, because neither of us like working on the weekends nor do we like working at night time, um, me especially. Alex is, is okay working at night time because I'm online and he usually, he's, he's usually online as well. Um, but there's times throughout the day when he doesn't work, his, his schedule is a bit different to mine and, and we're building the kind, the kind of business where we we just want to do what we want to do during the day and um, create something valuable for people. So the first step is getting someone in to look after the after hours stuff um, and depending on how well next year goes, if we really grow you know, a lot faster than we think we will or, or even as fast as we think we will, um, we might be able to totally exit ourselves from like just the day to day back and forth with clients and get get someone in to manage all the projects and just have us to be there at like a second level thing um, and just to do content and strategy stuff that that might come towards the end of the year um, but 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 we'll see I mean we're growing very quickly so if we keep growing quickly maybe it'll come a bit sooner than that how do you it's it's an interesting thing it's an interesting decision isn't it like how do you know when to let go of something and allow someone else to do it? Like in terms of, do you look at your revenue and go, okay, well now we can afford to pay this person and bring them on? Or do you look at, if we bring this person on, it's going to help me do this, which is going to increase revenue? No, the way I look at it is um, there's, there's a, a wage that me and Alex both expect to draw from the business. And that'll be a wage that 
makes that gives us a comfortable lifestyle that we want. And until we hit that wage, then we're going to be doing a lot more stuff that we potentially could get someone else to do because we're optimizing for income. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we hit that wage, which which might happen next year, um, then at that point we optimize for something else, which is which is more work-life balance and growth. And I mean, we know that we know that right now getting someone in to manage the task would increase our growth because it's going to enable us to do more strategic work. Um, but while we're optimizing for our personal income, yeah, it's it, it that's that's the priority. Yeah. So, so I have a, I mean, this is the really good thing about this kind of business, which is why we have like a hundred percent monthly recurring model, which is we know exactly how much revenue we're going to make next month. We know, we know more or less exactly how much we're going to spend. Um, so, so we have a little spreadsheet that calculates what's, what's like a reasonable wage that we could draw from this business looking at its profits margins right now. So we just look at what we're going to spend, what we're going to make, add in a few incidentals, divide it by two. And, and we can and multiply by a year and we can work out like an average annual wage that we could potentially draw from the business. Um, and and at the moment, we're assuming that next month is going to be, you know, growing compared to this month and the following month is going to grow and everything's going to continue growing. So it's pretty it's pretty conservative. But just knowing that number means we means we, we pretty much know at what point what wage we can take and, you know, how many months down the track until we get to that point where we've got the wage we want. And we can start optimizing for other things. Out of curiosity, do you do any pay-per-click advertising to drive traffic to websites? No, we've experimented with um, a few paid advertising strategies. I'm not very good at paid advertising, and I don't really like it. And neither is Alex. And again, the philosophy is just to focus on what we're good at. But we've we've experimented a bit with Facebook ads and some retargeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm no good at it, and I don't enjoy it. And I, I mean, I think you really, really need to know. You really need to have all your numbers sussed to work that out, mm. and to, and I think we're pre- getting, getting better at that. Maybe in a year or so, when we've got like 500 clients or something, and we really know what the lifetime value is when we've exited ourselves, so we can cost out every step of the process. Like at the moment, we're doing all the project management stuff, so we don't really know how much it costs us to support a client. Yeah. I mean, we can estimate it, but we yep. know that the margin is higher now than it will be when we hire someone. Yep. So when there's that many things in your way, paid advertising is just really difficult to make work and combine that with the fact that neither of us really want to do it or are particularly good at it and, and we don't do it. So we mm. did, we, we would prefer to spend all of our time doing content and building our list and um, optimizing our site than, than doing stuff we don't enjoy. There, talk to me about the podcast a little bit. I, as you know, I love podcasting. Here we are making a podcast. Um, how does your podcast fit into your overall strategy? Because your, po- you mean you, your podcast gets picked up and shared by some pretty influential people in the in the online marketing space, and it's a pretty competitive, saturated space. The online marketing podcast. I mean, they fall off trees. They're a dime a dozen. How, mm. Again, how do how does that fit into your overall strategy, and what's the main point behind it? Um. I mean, for me, the podcast is more about relationships than anything else. So I think I think just about everyone I've had on my podcast is someone who I'm, I've got some kind of friendship with, at least from an online point of view. Like you know, like I'm friends with them on Facebook, or I'm on their email list, and I support them when they want support, and they and they support me when when I want to be supported. Um, so the podcast is more about that than anything else. I mean, I'm not. It's probably our weakest co- content. Because it's really not that different from from all the other podcasts, and I don't think it's 
I don't think interviewing people is really my strongest point. I think I'm a better I'm better at writing and creating things than I am at at talking and interviewing people. Um, plus, plus, as you say, it's just so competitive, and and other people just other people are a lot better at it than I than I am. So I'm I'm not really seeing that as being like our biggest and our best content. But what it is completely unbeatable for is is authority and relationships with influencers. And um, I just love being able to just hit hit up, you know, Joe Polizzi and say, can I have you on my podcast? I think if I didn't have the podcast there, I don't even know how I would approach someone like that. I probably just wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great positioning tool, isn't it? What's a, what podcast do you listen to when you walk and run? Um, I listen to quite a few podcasts. I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at what's on my phone. I, I like This Week in Startups. I tend to go for the ones with the hosts that, 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 that are a little bit... Um, controversial because they entertain me a little bit more than the really boring ones yeah um but i've got i started listening to the new man this week which is pretty cool i've uh-huh. got chris ducker's podcast on here oh yeah um solopreneur hour i've got on here uh-huh. that's one that i'm going to be on so i started listening to that one and that's got some really cool stuff on it startups for the rest of us is really good uh-huh. uh rob and mike that's one i've listened to for a long long time uh-huh. um Tropical MBA is one I've listened to for ages yeah, and ages yeah. as well. Dan Andrews, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, James Shramko's any of his stuff, I listen to heaps and heaps of his stuff. Yep. Um, I listen to the Vergecast, which is like a geeky techie kind of kind of one. Mm-hmm. I've got all sorts of stuff on here. I've got stuff on here that isn't business related as well. It's like a Formula One podcast and an Aussie one called the No Dickheads Policy. You should have a look at that one. That's good. That's only that. See, that's the thing. Only that podcast could come out of Australia. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I really, and that's part of the reason for having a podcast is because I really enjoy listening to them so much. And um, so I, I kind of thought it'd be cool to start one, which it was. But uh, but uh, it's also hard. I find it hard to I find it hard content to create podcasts. I think some people find it easier than others. I don't know if you've got like a really I, I like a really specific process. You, you seem pretty organised. I'm I'm probably not quite as organised, and I, I find it I find there's a fair bit of friction there to create a podcast episode than mm. than compared with something like a, a blog post. Yeah, we do have a pretty good process in place, but it's taken. I mean, well, I started a podcast a couple of years ago, which ran very infrequently for about three months, and then died because yeah, it, I was overwhelmed, and it just went in the too hard basket. And this time round, I thought, well, the only way to do this is to get systems in place and get people around me to help so I you know shoot this video it goes straight to Dropbox goes to our editor in the states he edits it then he uploads the video to Vimeo the mp3s to Amazon s3 and then uh, my assistant in the states will pull all that together and actually put it on the blog write the show notes save it as a draft I'll go in approve it and publish it and we've got that scheduled in a calendar so it's yeah. fairly and the interviews are set up in a Google Doc so every time I'm getting like when I'm interviewing you today I just go into our template change the questions fill in the blanks to suit you email it off to you, hopefully give you enough advance warning to get your head around what we're going to talk about. And um, and, I've, and I use meetme.so, schedule once to actually schedule it all. And Kristen in the States organises all the, the time frames with people in different time zones and she gets the times right and then she just puts the appointments in my calendar. So it's fairly light touch for me, but yeah. there's pretty complex systems in place to make it that way. Otherwise, it's just not doable. Yeah, I think I think that sounds like a really good way to do it. I mean, I've I've done done it that way a little bit, not quite as organised with the scheduling and stuff. But when we had a virtual assistant working for us, um, that was a lot easier because I'd just create the audio file and I'd upload it, and she would she would do it do, do most of the rest of it. Um, 
and again, once we once we have enough of, of a wage for us, you know, towards the end and uh, well, at some stage next year, we'll we'll probably do that again because there's a whole bunch of other stuff I want to do with content as well. Like after we publish the content, me and Alex tend to be good at just publishing the content. Yeah. Um, but then after all the stuff that happens afterwards, neither of us are particularly good at. So so I want to get better at that stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, let's go through our lightning round. Let's elevate. For those that don't know, WP Elevation is a business accelerator program for WordPress consultants to build a business as a WordPress consultant. Um, Dan does come from an agency background. So the way this round works is a series of quick questions and quick answers just off the top of your head. Sound good? That sounds good. All right, let's do let's it. Go. What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Uh, I mean, they probably know the number one thing they need to know, which is that that your business is not going to grow long term if it relies on yourself, you know, to execute all parts of the business. So I think most freelancers probably know that, but that probably is the most important thing for them to know. Nice. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Kyle, content marketing. I mean, it, it was a slow process, but eventually we have a barrage of new customers that have all come at some point through our content. So I'll just say generally building an audience, building an email list and giving them great content. Sweet. Uh, how do you stop competing on price? Uh, I guess one way is to offer a, a, a something that is structured differently to everyone else. So if I was to use our example, we um, our offering is different to everyone else. It's a, it's recurring monthly. It's twenty four seven support, live support. That's not something that anyone else is really offering. Um, so I kind of feel reasonably confident to charge what we think people will pay for it if you're offering exactly the same thing that everyone else is offering i think it would be a lot harder yeah it's good so yeah i mean have a different offering is one way to stop competing yeah. on price yeah uh any tips on writing better proposals um that, i mean it's probably been too long since i had to write proposals but i guess the i guess i guess the best way to do that the 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 best proposals are ones where you really understand what the client wants so I mean, the more more time you can spend with the client up front and the more structure you can have around that process. Like I used to have a document that was probably like a 10-page document that just covered all the major pain points that the clients have. And once you can really understand what those problems are, then you can really, you can really tap into what they really want from their site, which probably isn't what they asked for originally, and, and you can charge a lot more for that. Absolutely, and it and it you know it's really not about the technology or the plugins that you're using, is it? It's about solving their pain points. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite tool or system for CRM? Well, we use Infusionsoft. Um, so, I, and I suppose that's a CRM. So, I'd have to hmm. give it to Infusionsoft. Although I must admit, we don't really use we don't use the traditional CRM functions. Like we don't use it for tracking leads or for managing opportunities or closing deals, that kind of stuff. But we use it as basically the the uh, source of truth for pretty much everything in our business. How is it, by the way? Oh, it's it's awesome. I mean, I I love Infusionsoft. It's um, I find it very easy to use. I mean, it, no doubt it was a bit of a learning curve initially, but I love building out new sequences. It's um excellent for managing all the complex email autoresponders and stuff that we have set up in our business. Just our weekly emails. Um, when we launch a new blog post, we have our opt-in like a specific opt-in for that and that goes into infusion stuff so we learn more and more and more and more about these people um all of our orders are in there so all of our customers are in there um 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. Yeah, and our affiliate program is managed by Infusionsoft as well. So pretty much every aspect of our business yeah. is managed by Infusionsoft. We're, I think we're close to moving over to Infusionsoft. Um, this is completely off topic, but something I do want to ask you. You're an Australian company. Is your company based in Australia? No, US. Ah, right. Okay, that answers that question. <laughs> we're what was a, it? Well, we're an Australian-based company. We sell in US dollars. Yeah. We use two checkout to process all our payments because they will direct deposit US currency into our Australian bank account. And they'll, the currency conversion is not the best, but they don't charge huge fees. Whereas NAB, the National Australia Bank, who yeah. have a multi-currency account, they slug you every time they transfer the, the, the money over. So we'd, we've been trying to skin that cat for quite some time now. Yeah, I had I, I was set up with Braintree and NAB, and the fees were just out of control. So um, we just use PayPal and we use Stripe, neither of which integrate very well with Infusionsoft um, for recurring payments which right. is a shame right um so again we're gonna have to fix that problem at some point um when it becomes a big enough problem to worry about but yeah stripe is stripe is really good paypal is good if you can get over it being shit <laughs> <if that makes sense. laughs> yeah yeah that's right which i just can't because i mean they don't you know they the only way they do recurring payments in australia is if you check out on the paypal checkout page yeah yeah which is yeah i mean there's some things about paypal that is horrible yeah. um and you just have to accept. <laughs> but you, so you sell in US dollars, but you get paid into a US bank account because you're a US yep. company, right? Yep. Thank you very much. Um, back to the lightning round. What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Well, uh, charge 100% up front. <laughs> then it doesn't matter if it's on track or not. <laughs> That's brilliant. I've been a big proponent, a, a big, um, you know, I've been a big advocate of 50% up front. And then, you know, like 40% on delivery and 10% once they've finished, you know, faffing about with their content. So if you lose that last 10%, it doesn't matter. But I like 100% yeah. up front. That's ballsy. It's, it's a, that's a really difficult thing that I honestly was never really able to solve other than by creating a business that didn't do projects. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I mean, I, I was an agency slash freelancer and that's working for me. I, I, I think... I don't. I'd never enjoyed doing project work, and I really, really never enjoyed. Probably the thing I enjoyed the least about my business was doing work for people and not getting paid. And I just, I mean, that's it. Should just should never, ever, ever happen. So I'm never gonna have a business again where we do work for free or we do work where we get paid after we well, do the work. I want. There's two more questions this lightning round, and then I want to come back and touch on this because you've just articulated something, um, which. Uh, which I think is worth exploring. Uh, but the last two questions in the Elevation Lightning Round, any ideas for getting referrals from your existing customers? Uh, well, there's, there's one really, really easy idea, and that's to do really good work. So don't forget <laughs> about that one. So we make sure we do that. Um, and that's by far the best way to get referrals. Yeah. All the other stuff is 10%. That's, that's 90%. Yeah. Um, but the, the 10% stuff, you've got to ask for them, for one thing. You can do that with Infusionsoft because yeah. it's, Infusionsoft knows when they became a customer. It will know when the project's finished. Ideally, if you've got everything set up properly, it'll know when they paid you. So yep. if you can predict all of those things, it'll know when, when they're happy. You know, you can ask them, are you happy with the service? If they say yes, then that's a very good time to ask them for a referral yep. or a testimonial. Um, so smart, some smart automated email marketing can, can be good there as well. But, but, but the two number one things are do very good work and then make sure you ask. Gold. What's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Um, well, I think I've said it already, which is just to have a different model of doing business. And yeah. um, that's what we're doing. We could have, we're essentially doing exactly the same thing we used to do, which is doing monthly support for clients. Um, but we're doing it in a very slightly different way. And uh, another example 
like I like to think of the example of Entrepreneur on Fire with the podcasting because, I mean, everyone was interviewing entrepreneurs before John started doing it 18 months ago. Um, but 18 months down the track, he's done 420 interviews and he's doing 100 grand a month mm. in his revenue reports. You know, mm. it's crazy. But what and what did he do different? He just did the exact same thing, but he did it in a different way and only a very slightly different way. I mean, he's doing one episode a day. It's very structured. Mm. And I think that's what we're doing. We're doing the exact same thing everyone else is doing. We're just doing it in a very slightly different way. <laughs> a very slightly different way. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if and if that way of doing it taps into something big, then that's good. In our case, it taps into a really big issue for people, which is responsiveness. And for people with websites and they're relying on agencies or freelancers to fix them, and they get back to them after two weeks, and they know when they send an email off, they won't hear from them for three days. Yeah, and that is a huge pain point that we're solving yeah um, so that works well here's what i really like about what you guys have done right is because because I, I come from an agency you know we had a, a web agency here in melbourne for about three years and what i like about what you guys have done is you're essentially now doing what you do in agency land but you've productized it because in agency land you spend a whole lot of time logging in and doing small fixes on clients websites and you don't know how to charge them for it because it only yeah. takes you 10 or 15 minutes but it never takes you 10 or 15 minutes because you've got to generate an invoice you've got to fire up the project you've got to write your to-dos you've got to tick it off you've got to log in via ftp cross browser compatibility all that bullshit that takes essentially an hour to get a 15 minute job done but you can't yeah. send the client an invoice for an hour because they say well it only took you know 10 minutes to do it so what yeah. you've done is you've taken that model and it's no longer a service business. Well, it is, but you've productized the service business. Yeah. I mean, I think what's happened with the web agency model is that it, it worked really well when agencies were responsible for 100% of the website. It became a lot less effective as things like WordPress came out and, you know, image editing programs and, you know, managed hosting and all, all of this, this trend is towards enabling the business owners to do stuff themselves. And the more control you give them, the, the less they need the agency for. And when they do need the agency, they need them a lot more urgently because they know. I mean, five years ago, if someone was to say, can you change this thing on a website, it'll only take 15 minutes. I mean, you, that never used to happen because they had no clue how long it would take mm. to change a drop down on a website. I mean, mm. you, could, you, could, you could say it would take a week and they would be none the wiser. Mm. Um, and I think our industry got a bad rep for that because mm. a lot of people would. But um, now the model just seems to be moving towards a, a place where so many people who use WordPress, they just need something other than that traditional agency model to make work. Or maybe they need something in between. Um, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of people who who need what we offer, which is just a really, really quick fix when they have a problem. Mm. What's, um, you, 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 you had a white label option when you guys first launched, but you don't have a white label option now, do you? Why is that? Well, there's a, there's a blog post on that. Right. <laughs> Alex Alex wrote the wrote the um, post on that one, uh, something about white label failure. It's up on, so I've got a blog, thedannorris.com, which is where we put our kind of startup businessy type fun stuff. Yep. But it was just a, it was a total failure in terms of getting people to sign up for that. I mean, both me and Alex were just thinking it made total sense. And, and we were thinking, how the hell are we going to get, you know, like after a week I had 10 customers, we know we probably need a thousand you know, in the long run to have a decent business. And mm. we were just thinking, how the hell are we going to get from 10 to 1,000, mm. even from 10 to 100? Like we wanted to get to, to 100 customers by the end of this year. Um, and we're just, how the hell are we going to do that? So um, we thought it made perfect sense for agencies to offer as a white label option. Um, 
and we tried for months and months and months to make it work, but it just it was just a massive fail. It just we, we just could not get agencies across. We compromised on our offering. We reduced price. We restructured things differently. We spoke to 20 or 30 agencies, and the conclusion we came to was that a white label offering like ours is solving a fundamentally different problem than our normal offering. Because our normal offering is is you know giving business owners the power to and the freedom to use their site the way that WordPress wants you to use it, which is you know go in there and change stuff when you want to change stuff. And it's like an empowering thing for business owners to know they can do that mm. and be backed up by us if something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, for agencies, it's a totally different need. I mean, agencies want better margins. They want cheap developers. Um, they don't want to hand over their clients. And, you know, at every point of the, the offer, it would clash with what we wanted and we, we couldn't figure it out, so we just turned it off. So how do you – last question about WP Curve. How do you manage the expectations when you say a small, unlimited small jobs? <laughs> yeah, so, a, I mean, we we say a 30-minute fix is, is what a small job is. Right. Um, if it goes for five minutes, it's still a small job. If it goes for 45 minutes, then it's probably still a small job if they're an existing customer and we like them. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, we're flexible. Right. So, but it, but usually it's pretty obvious. If someone comes to us and says, uh, you know, I want to install this brand new theme and put in a membership site <laughs> integrated with PayPal and, you know, all the rest. I mean, it's very, very obvious to us and to the client yeah. that that's not a small fix. So usually it works out. If we're flexible and the client's reasonable, it usually works out pretty easily. And those kind of jobs you just don't do. You just say, no, don't. that's not what we do, right? Yeah, we don't do them. And, right. and I mean, again, we thought what would be good was we could refer that kind of stuff on to other people. Um, but, again, it hasn't really worked out that way. Like, we we don't really have people that we know can give our clients the responsiveness they need, but on these on these kind of medium-sized jobs, because we don't really get approached for big jobs because people know we don't do that. But yeah. You know, like if a client says, I want my site to be responsive and looking at the site, it might be three or four days work, yeah. that kind of stuff we don't do. And, and we thought we'd be able to refer those on, but we haven't really been able to do that. So more often than not, we just say we can't do it and we just stick to what we're good at and what we can do. Great. What's the future for WP Curve? Well, I mean, next year we'd like to... So, so we're at 170 customers right now. We'd like to get to 1,000 um, next year, it'd be nice to get to, I don't know, 300, just get to a point where we can just have a really consistent income and we can help a lot of people. Um, I think we've probably got a couple of years where we're going to grow very, very quickly. Mm. After that, it might not be so easy. So we, we really just want to grow as quickly as possible while still maintaining good service for the next couple of years. And after that, ideally get to get to like a thousand customers or a million dollars a year and make it into a decent kind of business mm. awesome uh what do you reckon the future of wordpress looks like uh i don't know maybe i should have had this as my my thing that keeps me up at night because i do because <laughs> i do wonder um it feels like wordpress has been kind of the same for a long time and normally when that happens um someone else comes along and does something different and it has a big impact but there's a lot of things that stand in the way of that happening because people have got so much invested in wordpress that i think even if they do bring along something that's just easier um it's it's just still such a big deal to move your site across um so i do worry a little bit whether wordpress is going to be the like i think i think the trend is very much going towards cloud cloud hosted stuff so like if you're starting an e-commerce site now 
you would be going with something. I mean, for a lot of the time, you'd be going with something like Shopify. For a simple e-commerce side, you go with something like Shopify or BigCommerce. Mm. Um, five years ago, you would have gone with OzCommerce or Magento or Joomla, Virtumart. That's what we were building them on now. You wouldn't build an e-commerce site now on OzCommerce. Um, so I, I do kind of wonder if three or four years down the track, WordPress will fall into that category where you don't... For most sites, you won't need your own hosted site mm. um but i mean it just hasn't seemed to happen with normal websites it seemed to have happened with e-commerce um and wordpress just seemed to have dominated with normal sites um and yeah there's a lot of barriers to that happening so i guess that's one thing i worry about but i'm not really that worried about it the plugin architecture means that wordpress.org is always going to be in demand because of its extensibility because wordpress.com is a hosted version but it's quite restricted because of the plugins they allow and, and what they don't allow for obvious, yeah, you know, for um, security reasons, obviously. Yeah, but maybe there's a better way to manage it. I mean, like if you look at the Android versus iOS, like you've got that free-for-all Android, which is just a mess, and the iOS where everything's a lot more controlled, which just seems to be a better experience. Whichever wins in the long run, I'm not really that sure. Mm. But maybe someone will, will come along with a situation where you still can have that fully hosted website, mm. which does 99% of what you need it to do, and then when you need the extra 1%, there's a, a better system for adding on to that that doesn't require you to self-host and doesn't require you to customize or have a developer. Um, maybe that'll come along, and if that comes along, then I think WordPress, that's going to be a problem for WordPress because I don't think they've really ever been very good with that side of it. Like, it seems still confusing to me. I I have to explain to people the difference between WordPress.com and WordPress.org all the time. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like they're well-positioned to defend against that because of that confusion mm. um so yeah i wonder about that but then for all the reasons we've talked about i don't really worry that much about it yeah uh all right quick announcement on this competition dan is giving away a complimentary site conversion optimization session which basically means it's going to look at your website tell you why it sucks and how you can make it better uh valued at 200 dollars. in order to enter this competition leave a comment under this video and tell us the number one thing that you would like to use wp curve for in other words the number one fix that you would like to use WP Curve for. That way, Dan gets a bit of an understanding of how the service might be used in the future. I'll get Dan to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Sound good, Dan? Hey, awesome. Good idea. Awesome. Just before we wrap up, what's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? Uh, build an email list. Yeah, awesome. Yep. Enough said. Uh, <laughs> where can people reach out to you to say thanks, man? Um, yeah, so uh, most of our content is on wpcurve.com forward slash blog. That's our WordPress stuff. We talk a lot about conversions on there. So it's not so much WordPress how-to, but it's lots about conversions and content marketing, which is if that's the sort of stuff you're into, you'll get you'll get a lot out of that site. Um, if you're just into the kind of startups and um, general entrepreneurial stuff, then my site, the Dan Norris, T-H-E-DanNorris.com. Mm -hmm. That's where me and Alex put all of our startup-related stuff Um and you can email me anytime, dan at wpcurve.com or on Facebook. I need to get a better URL for Facebook. I don't actually even know what mine is, but I'm pretty active on Facebook and I'm sure I'm not that hard to find, so you can add me as a friend on there. You on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it that much. I, I don't know. I like pretty pictures. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, awesome. Finally, who would you like me to try and interview and why? Um, have you interviewed Brennan Dunn? Idea. He was the first one that I interviewed on this oh, okay, podcast. Cool. He was episode number one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's great. Um, have you interviewed Brendan Sinclair? No. Brendan Sinclair is really good. He's 
for a lot of agencies, he's he's like the he's he's kind of like the original guru because he put out the web design business kit for SitePoint uh, uh, a lot of years ago, and he used to write the um, the SitePoint SitePoint Tribune, which is it was a weekly newsletter out to freelancers and agencies. Gotcha. Uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's he's on the Gold Coast as well, and awesome. he, he he will drop a lot of value on a show like this. Great. Brendan, I'm coming to get you courtesy of Dan Norris. Hey, man, thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast, and I wish you all the best with WP Curve. You too. Great job with all of this. This is really, really professional and, and really valuable for people, so good work. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, mate.